One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There are two types of comedy fans in this world people who don't know any better and people who love McGruber. I will suck your dick. I will suck your fucking dick. I will do it. Just join my team. I'll suck your dick. You can fuck me or get fucked by me. You can watch me fuck something. Just point something in the room and I'll fuck it for you. Come on, just tell me what you want me to fuck. Jesus Christ, MacGruber. Just tell me what you want me to fuck. <laughs> okay, I don't have any lubricant. Do you see any whiteout or like copy toner should work? Or... Put your pants back on. What are you doing? I don't know. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Will Forte as perhaps his greatest comedy creation in the 2010 movie, MacGruber. We have been on quite a run of Saturday Night Live alums on this show recently, including last week's episode with Chris Parnell, The Lonely Island's Akiva Schaefer before that, and of course, Bill Hader a few weeks earlier. And I could not be happier to keep it going this week with Will Forte, who was always one of my favorite cast members during his eight seasons on SNL before going on to star in shows like The Last Man on Earth and this past year's MacGruber series on Peacock. We had so much to talk about in this episode, including why he did the unthinkable and actually turned down Lorne Michaels' offer to join SNL before getting a second chance the next year, and what it has been like to bring MacGruber back from the dead over and over again. What I really learned during this conversation is that Will is kind of the king of second chances, and as far as I'm concerned, he's deserved every one of them. So here we go. This is me with Will Forte. Well, how's it going? What's going on? Kind of a crazy period right now. I'm, I just got done working in Albuquerque for a couple months. And then I found out, you know, a couple of weeks ago that, that I'm turning right around and going to Ireland for like four and a half, five months. <laughs> really? What's what's in Ireland? There's this uh, Netflix show called On Record that I get to go do, which is very exciting. It's just nuts because I got done with this job, which was also very fun, this movie called Coyote versus Acme. Oh, yeah. But I only have like a week to get back here, get everything done that I've been putting off for a couple months. And then not only going away to Ireland for four and a half, five months, but also we, my wife is pregnant. Oh my God. Congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah. I was going to congratulate you on your, uh, on your first kid. Cause I know you had, you know, Thank you became you. a dad not too long ago. Uh, I, I did as well around the same time as you. So oh, congratulations. We're still on number one though. So no, no number two coming yet, but <laughs> well, we are going to, we are going to start trying for a baby in October, but we got our timeline mixed up. Yeah. The baby is due in October. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. You know that. It's just the best. It is the best. It's so much fun. She's little Zoe. Her her name is Zoe and she's just getting cuter and cuter every day. (laughs) It's so much fun. Mine is Franny. So we have Franny and Zoe. It's perfect. Oh, wow. Oh, that's (laughs) such a cute name. Yeah. I was going to ask too, you know, how, how do you feel like it's affected, you know, becoming a dad has affected, you know, both obviously your life, but then also, you know, what you want to do creatively. Has it, has it changed that at all? Do you think, or? Yes and no. I, 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 certainly it would be, yeah, I I definitely will hear people say, Oh, I want to do things that my kids can see. But the very first thing that I did after having a baby was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Coyote versus Acme was really fun to do. And that definitely seems like something that she'll enjoy. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. So we just had uh, Chris Parnell on this show. Uh, the best. Yeah, he's the best. And he has... Iceman. Yeah, Iceman. We talked about that. And also the fact that he is, I still believe, the only SNL cast member to be fired from the show twice. That's but Because <laughs> he was fired and then came back and then was fired again, which is crazy. I want to talk about your very unique uh, SNL distinction, which is that you may or may not be the only person to ever turn down the show and then come back and join it a year later. Um, I don't know if that's happened before, but that's a pretty unique uh, distinction, I think. I was working at the 70s show at the time as a writer, 
And I had been on a series of shows that had gone 13 episodes and out. And then I got a chance to do Third Rock from the Sun, which was a, a very stable show. And But they were ending their runs. So, uh, you know, I was only there for about a year and a half. And then, and then they were just finishing up the show. So I got brought over to the 70 show. Cause it was this, it was also Bonnie and Terry Turner with Mark Brazil. Yeah. And all, this is all behind the scenes writing, not nothing on, on camera, right? Yeah. Nothing on camera. I think they had even just gotten picked up for two seasons in a row. So, I mean, here I'm looking at this job. It was one of the best jobs of all time from a writing standpoint, working with a bunch of fun people. The hours were insanely good. And I really liked the show and enjoyed being a part of the staff. Like it was a show I was proud of. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I get this opportunity to go to SNL where I had just gotten a chance to work at Letterman and did not do a good job there. I was I mean, it was one of my favorite all-time. Letterman was one of my comedy heroes. That was probably your dream job before you even thought SNL was a possibility. Yeah, it didn't work out in the way that I had hoped it would. I just, I wasn't as good for the show as I thought I would be. And yeah, and I was just terrified of, because basically Letterman and SNL were my two big dreams first going into comedy. So I'm like, geez, I have this wonderful show that I love writing on. Am I going to go just explode another, my, my other main <laughs> dream? Like those, those yeah. are the two things, right? At Letterman. Then what? <laughs> Work on SNL. So I, I, I think I just chickened out and it, it was way more about being terrified to fail at it than, than anything else. I, I think at first it was like, people go like, Oh, what a punk rock move. And it's like, no, I was terrified. <laughs> it was the opposite of, punk rock. So as you know, th- thankfully Lauren came to me a, a year later and, and asked if I would reconsider. And I, I, you know, that year I had, yeah, I, I had from the very moment that I made the decision, I questioned it. And, and yeah. yeah, I could imagine. I mean, and, and what an honor for him to come back and, and ask you again, you didn't have to audition the second time. I did, but he said it was a formality. But I mean, who who knows? I mean, I, I definitely went back and I did essentially the same audition, except I changed. When I went the first time, I did four characters and two impersonations. I did Michael McDonald and Martin Sheen, both <laughs> horrendous yeah. impersonations. I'm, I mean, the Michael McDonald, I can do a little more than Martin Sheen. That seems more uh, up your alley than, than Martin Sheen. But Martin Sheen, I, I remember the, my bit was that I don't do a Martin Sheen impersonation and I haven't tried to do it in a long time, <laughs> but I'll try to do it okay, now. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. It was saying something like, Hi, I'm Martin Sheen and I have I've had a cold. So <laughs> if I don't sound like Martin Sheen right now, it's because of the cold. But if I do sound like Martin Sheen, maybe the cold is going away. <laughs> something like that. That's great. That was the first time when I went back. The second time I did... Joni Mitchell. <laughs> I don't think that one ever made it on the show, did it? No. <laughs> oh, that was it. It was it was Joni Mitchell. She was putting out an album of covers. And so I did Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. <laughs> but I did it to the tune of Help Me. Yeah. So it was Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Do not let them play the <laughs> oh my god so that's a great one too <laughs> yeah so somehow they were like yeah we want that we need that guy yeah so you kind of got this incredible you know second chance to to come back um and and do the show i gotta say mark brazil the creator of that 70s show was was so wonderful to me like he he said look you have to go do this there is a spot for you that was the last straw i was like because I was, you know, I was just holding on. I was so terrified, but he said, you have to do this. There is a job for you. If you need to come back, your job is always here for you. I didn't have any excuses anymore. It was like, all right. So it was, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to Mark Brazil. I mean, everybody at Carsey Werner and Bonnie and Terry, obviously who, who used to be at Saturday Night Live for years. They were, they were just so wonderful and supportive. And once you got there, was it as terrifying as you had feared it would be? Yes. 
<laughs> I was, I was terrified for years. It was, you know, it was really year four or five that I felt like comfortable getting up on stage. And, and that was still like, I, you know, I was varying levels of discomfort and fear throughout the entire time. Like even the eight, my eighth and final year there, there, there'd be, I just, I don't know. I have, I have a way of finding stress just in anything. I remember my first year, uh, we did like a Super Bowl halftime special. Well, it must've been like the very beginning of 2003 because Super Bowl's in January. So yeah, it was my first season. So already I'm, I've been there for, I don't know, four months by yeah. this point or three months. And I had nothing to do in the Super Bowl halftime show except run in as a, I throw a flag and run through as a referee mm-hmm. and don't, I don't say anything. I might, <laughs> maybe I blow a whistle and I yeah. was terrified. <laughs> terrified. That's a big audience. Was, yeah. No, it is, but still, it's just, I don't know. I'll, I'll always find ways to get nervous. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you, you, I'll still get nervous if I have to talk in front of like 50 people, no TV cameras, no nothing. It's just, you know. Yeah. That's what, that's what Bill Hader was telling me that when he has to give a speech in front of a small audience, he gets very nervous. <laughs> Watching Bill and his fear was helpful to me because mm-hmm. I remember. He came in a couple of years later. And by this time I had mellowed out a little bit and, and, and we would talk about it. Cause he, and cause I mean, this is a guy who's just, he's one of the all time great performers. Yeah. And to know that he's feeling those feelings too. And you're like, there's no amount of you saying, Hey, you're so amazing. <laughs> Everything you do, everyone loves. You're always just so good just relax. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. We were talking about uh, how Fred Armisen is like the exact opposite of that. Yes. The, he has like no nerves and seemingly is totally comfortable with everything. Oh my God. And I came in with Fred. So he got his Ferrisito character on the very first show. And I think I was in one, no, I was in two things, but one of them, I'm in a Santa costume and I don't have a lot to say. And I'm covered up in Santa yeah. gear. So like I felt pretty protected. And then there's this other sketch that I just, I was in this Hannibal Lecter at college sketch where I had one line and I was terrified and I almost couldn't even say the words. And then I'm watching this guy who's coming in, had the same amount of time at SNL and he's so excited to get up on stage and do this stuff. I'm like, Oh, I was so jealous. Like how I just wanted to have that same level of fearlessness. Do you feel like you were able to get there, you know, by the end or, or towards the end of your time at the show? I had a version of fearlessness. Like I had a, I guess what you would call fearful fearlessness. Yeah. I think I would go out and I would take chances on weird things and up for doing that. But like in the back of my head, it was like, Oh, I hope people like this. I hope I do it right. It's all this stuff. And then, and then when you get out there, just, you know, you get on stage and all of a sudden you're doing it, you're locked into this hyper-focus, but he seemed to, and a lot of people there, but, but specifically Fred, Fred's an easy one to point to because we came in at the same time. So it's, you're kind of gauging yourself against this other person who's has the same start start point. Yeah. It reminds me of what uh, Sasha Baron Cohen says, where he says, everyone says, Oh, you, you're so fearless. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm terrified all, all the time, Yeah, <laughs> but he overcome it. You get out there, but I very rarely had fun during the moment. Yeah. While I was doing That's stuff. hard. I, That's I would, hard. It'd be fun afterwards when you come off stage and it was like, Oh my God, it was like jumping out of an airplane each time, you know, you get to the bottom and you're safe and you're like, Oh, that was exhilarating. And and this and that, but, but it was, you know, I, I think that you could just tell that, you know, there are people there who are just having so much fun performing that happens sometimes for me toward the end. There were some things that were pure fun to do, like doing the ESPN guys with, uh, with Sudeikis Sudeikis. Cause he's, that was so fun to do. He had the majority of the lines. I just smiled yeah. with this big <laughs> mustache. You gotta love this guy. Hey, you know what else you gotta love? Our sponsor, KY Jelly. No foreplay today? Hey, that's okay. (laughs) KY Jelly. 
Now, Greg, in terms of distance, what's the goal here for these ladies? Well, if the average man is around five inches, uh -huh. then for maximum pleasure, you're just gonna want to put it all the way in. You know. Because if it's just a tip. No, 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 Greg. <laughs> Greg, buddy. No, that, that, that's my fault. That's my fault, fella. I, I, no, I wasn't asking about a uh, distance goal and using a fine product like KY Jelly. I was asking about how far they'd like to throw the shot. Oh, 49, 70. Well, 70 what, buddy? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I tell you what, folks, he's not always right, but he's never quite wrong. And I remember there was a night, I think we were doing like wraparounds for a sports, an SNL sports. I think I remember that, yeah. Clip show that was going to play like something like that. We stuck around after the show and did a bunch of these things. And that was one of the most fun times I've ever had. Well, yeah, that probably wasn't live. So that helped. <laughs> it wasn't live, but it was, uh, there was just something about it. Definitely toward the end, there were things like that where I did get to have that experience of being up on stage and having fun, which it took a long time, but I finally was able to have that experience of being up on the stage and not being pissed my pants scared. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of known as one of the Kings of the, the 10 to one slot, that last uh, sketch of the night, which is always kind of the weirdest one. And it seems like there must be less pressure then when you're getting towards the end of the show, it's like the show's almost over then say, playing George W. Bush in the cold open, which I know you did at least once, if not more times, it's sort of following in, in Will Ferrell's footsteps, which couldn't have been easy there. Can you kind of compare those two experiences of being, you know, solo in the cold open, um, it's all on you versus kind of getting to let loose a little bit in towards the end of the show? I'll kind of come back to that, what I was talking about earlier, I will find the fear and the stress in anything. So like, Yes, there is a part of you that feels a little more comfortable when your show is later or when your sketch is later in the show. But then there's a, there's a whole different set of things going on. Like back with that stuff at the end of the show, there's always time consideration. Most of the time a sketch will get cut toward the end of the show. So you're like, there's a stress in like, oh, is it going to get on? Or sometimes they'll come back and go, you need to cut 45 seconds out of your sketch. And you're like, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want... And it's like, so we can either run a taped piece or cut 45 seconds. And usually I would go like, I'm not going to cut 45 seconds. This is every word is... Art. Yeah, <laughs> it's gold, yeah. Someone a dumbass. <laughs> but for sure, the thing I liked the least was doing those George Bush things. <laughs> yeah. I don't do impersonations. I just did not know how to do that. I wasn't comfortable yet performing but i was yeah you know, i wanted to be a team player so it's like hey if they ask you to do it it's, it's an honor to yeah. get asked to do that but you didn't put your name in the hat to follow uh, will ferrell as bush they asked you i was just told that's a lot of pressure oh it's terrifying as you may know i have just returned from a long and successful trip to india and pakistan i also made a surprise visit to afghanistan which no one knew about <laughs> until I did it. Of course, I knew about the surprise the whole time, but I never let on. I got in and out before most of the Afghans knew I was even there, which is unfortunate, because I'm sure if they knew I was there, they would have wanted to thank me for fixing their country. First of all, it's, it's tough because it's usually the opener of the show. Right. And it's this very public failing. I wasn't 100% bad. I was probably, you know, there was probably 5% of my impersonation <laughs> that was like, that was okay. But, you know, I don't know. It's weird. I wish, I kind of wish that I could go back and have another crack at it. Cause there was, there's, I, I feel like I might have, I don't know, there's just like a new looseness that I would have yeah. from not caring as much but back then it was it meant so much it was like oh my god i'm i have to do that this is my third year this is how most people see me and it's like i didn't do that shit it was like i like i like doing the 10 to 1 sketches i like doing the weird things and it was such a big cast at the time that i would be doing these george bush things but i'd be putting up these fun weird things that I love to put up, but those wouldn't make it in the show. Cause it's like, Oh, he's, 
Will's already covered. He's got his George Bush here. Yeah. And you're like, but that's not what I want to be doing. Yeah. It was just tough to get any of that other stuff on it. I like that it became you as Bush and uh, Seth Meyers as John Kerry. Neither of you are exactly known for your impressions or probably wasn't what you wanted to be doing exactly. Seth was so much better as John (laughs) Kerry than I ever was as George Bush. It was, you know, it was really nice to get to do that with him. The other thing I think is you look back over the history of the presidents on SNL and it's just, you know, murderers row. Yeah, like, it's iconic. It, it is a, amazing seeing these different things. And and yeah, it's totally iconic. And and there's one notable dip in that whole <laughs> time. And it's and it was a forte dip. And then I guess everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And thankfully at the end of that third season, I came very close to being let go from the show. And Lauren let me come back. And how do you know you came close to being let go? Well, there's a period where they're supposed to pick up your contract, like July 10th, let's say. Yeah. It's funny to say it, there were a ton of people. It was 17. <laughs> the cast this year was like 21 or something, but it was at the time an enormous cast. And Lauren was trying to figure it out, you know, figure out what I mean, a bunch of really amazing performers. I mean, you look back now and you go, oh my God, all these amazing people, but something just wasn't clicking at the show. And I think everyone knew it. It was like, okay, yeah, I get it. But, but at that time when he was supposed to pick up people's contracts, a lot of people were put on hold. Mm -hmm. They asked for an extension of like three weeks to figure out what to do. So they, there were some people like, I think I remember hearing, oh, Amy Poehler got picked up just out of the gate. Like she didn't have to do that. Yeah. No brainer. Yeah. A lot of no brainers. And like, Oh yeah, of course. Uh, um, and then at the end of that three weeks, you know, you hear all these different people, Oh, this person got picked up. They got their contract renewed. Everyone was getting their contracts renewed. And then there were a couple of us that they asked for additional extensions, which to me was unheard of, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. History, but, but like, I, I had never heard this happening. I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and so it was the kind of thing where the the end of the three-week period, that initial three-week extension was a Friday, and they said, we're going to tell you Monday. And then Monday, they said, we're going to tell you Wednesday. And then I had to go like that for three more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a bummer. And then at the very end, I ta- like Lauren called me, and he said... Basically, you know, I, I was I was having a tough time figuring out what to do with you because I think that because you came from a writing background, you approach some of your sketches as a writer. Like you need to own these sketches. Like when you write your own sketches, you totally own them. But when you're in other people's things, you there's not the same ownership. You know, of course, in my head, I'm like. Oh fucking Lauren! Yeah. Yes, no idea what you're talking about. I, you know, and then, but we, you know, when I look back now, he was 100 percent right. Did it change how you approached it after that? Yeah, it, it really did. Like I went in there and I was like, "Oh, this is all this is all gravy." Like I could have gotten fired, and that would have been the end of it. And now I'm getting this new lease on life. You know, what's the worst that could happen? I'm getting fired. So like, f it, just go for it. And, and little by little things were, I don't know, things just got to be very fun. And that year, I remember it was, uh, you know, it was when Andy and, and Bill and mm-hmm. uh, Jason had just come in like the last episode or two of the previous season, but then got yeah. hired on. And then Wig came in four episodes in. I don't know, there was something about that cast that really gel and it was really fun they kind of became your crew i mean yeah those those guys it's funny i remember during this period while i was waiting to hear if i was going to get brought back i had become friends with andy sandberg and and akiva and yorma because we had the same agent so we would see each other at parties and i remember i went over when he was putting together his some kind of packet for SNL. And, and I remembered kind of helping, giving advice on stuff. I, I forget what I, exactly what I did, but I was very aware, like, oh my God, I might be, I'm 
maybe giving away my slot to this. I'm helping get this guy my slot. Not only was Will not replaced by Andy Samberg, but he ended up using SNL as a launching pad for what would become the most iconic character of his career. Coming up, we go deep on the origins of MacGruber and why he never could have imagined making a second sketch, let alone a Super Bowl commercial, movie, and now a series for Peacock. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to my conversations with other former SNL cast members like Bill Hader, Sarah Silverman, Chris Parnell, and many others, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Will Forte. The Lonely Island crew kind of leads us into MacGruber and, you know, Yorma Takoni being the, the driving force behind that. I was kind of surprised that MacGruber was not your original creation at the beginning, right? Right, right. No, in fact, we fought it. <laughs> John Solomon and I had become friends with Yorma and we would always just enjoy hanging out with them. So we started writing things every couple of weeks. And, and then at some point, a couple of months into into that he he came up and he said he had this idea for mcgruber he was macgyver's less talented brother and we're like mm-hmm. eh, i don't know it just didn't hit hit in whatever spot needed to be hit yeah <laughs> yeah you know, we just didn't have any kind of reaction to it so we said well let's try something else this week we can think about it and he kept every, every week when we'd get together to write something he would keep pitching it and finally we just like we just kind of to get him to stop pitching it. <laughs> we, we decided we'd take a crack at it. And then, but, but the, I think the thing that, that we got excited about was, I think he was originally pitching it as like a, a live sketch, which we couldn't figure it out. And then once we figured out that we would do it as a, a short film and figured out the structure of it, I think we became more excited about it and it made more sense to us. And then, you know, the three of us wrote that first one together and, you know, it seemed it went well at the table read and we got a chance to do it. And then we put it together and I'm still kind of baffled by it because, yeah, <laughs> I mean, now it's something that I love with all my heart and I, it's so fun. But back then I remember thinking, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember the audience seemed to react better than I thought they would, but it wasn't like, I love Lucy laughs. More bad news, MacGruber. From the looks of that fuse, that dynamite is going to explode in 15 seconds. If we don't defuse this dynamite, it won't just be our spirits that are dampened. It'll be the whole town of Cedarville. What do we do, MacGruber? Ten seconds! Jojo, toss me that paper cup. Casey, I need three pine needles. You got it, Mac Daddy. Jojo, round up all the pubic hair you can find. <laughs> Cubes, I need a lot of them and I need them now. Where am I supposed to find pubic hair in a damn control room? Five Look, I would use my own, but I'm a shaver. I am too. Come on, Jojo. Pony up. Three seconds. I'm not giving you my pubic hair. Damn it. Then I'll come take it myself. I just hope I have enough time to manually extract. 
it was fun. What was funny to you about MacGruber first? What was sort of the, the hook for you to, to do it? I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. It was because yeah. in the beginning, <laughs> it wasn't like, uh, it, 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 the, the very first one, MacGruber didn't have a huge personality. It was more just the, the idea of it. It was, you know, we got to the end of it and when we played it at the show and people seemed to like it, but it, there, I don't, I don't think any of us said like, Oh, we have to do another one of those. Yeah. It didn't seem like a recurring sketch at that point. Yeah. I think we were like, Oh, that went better than, than we thought, but just kind of moved on. And then after doing the second one, the second one seemed to go pretty well. And then, and then I think we started thinking about it, about, Oh, let's think if there are opportunities to do a, another one. And and then at a certain point, then, then it became a thing that Lauren was asking for us to do. So it's, and that's always trickier because it's hard to, you know, when you're on your own time, you can wait for a good idea to come. But then when he's like, I want to group it this week, then you have to figure out what you want to do. And there, and, and the host was always part of it too, right? Yeah. Host was always part of it too, but it was, it was also very exciting to, to have Lauren want it. I, I think usually we we're pretty happy with how things turned out, but sometimes it just took forever to figure out a premise. Were there any uh, hosts that you think either, uh, you know, particularly enjoyed being in it or that you like doing it with? It was always very fun to all the hosts were, were great. I mean, I look back now and we got to do one with, I mean, Charles Barkley, that's, I think that's my favorite one we did. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great one. But this door is magnet locked. We're trapped. That's not our only problem, MacGruber. From the looks of that nitrogen bomb, we've only got 20 seconds. Don't worry, Vicky. Chill, Durrell. We'll have plenty of time to relax. Time to chill, Durrell. Once we get out of here, once we scram, Durrell. It's pronounced Daryl. Oh, like a white Daryl. 10 seconds, MacGruber. Okay, uh, Vicky, hand me that Allen wrench. You got it, MacGruber. Okay, Durrell. Daryl. Funk me over that copper wire. Out of sight. It's Daryl. Okay, Vicky, hand me that stir stick. On the way, MacGruber. Darrell. It's Darrell. She has me over that fly shoelace, you dig? Gruber, I don't know if this is working out. He is so funny. And I remember there was some, I feel like it was the collegiate football championship game mm -hmm. we were shooting it. But that, it, it almost makes no sense to me because that would mean it would be a Monday night. But I remember him just being so cool about it. Like, you know, we brought down a TV so we could all kind of watch yeah. the game in between stuff. And But he was like, you know, when, when you, when we'd have to turn off the TV to do stuff, he, he was just super cool. Like, like I, I would be, if I, it was the opposite. I'm like, I wonder what the, how can you freaking <laughs> do this on the night of the national championship game? But, but like, I love him as a person, as a performer. Yeah. He was always great on, on the show. Betty White was, was another oh, one that, yeah. that was That's special. You know, obviously very special, but I mean, you know, got to do one with Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill and all, all these, all these awesome people. As you said, it, it just kind of has ballooned and ballooned from, from where it started. And you did the Super Bowl commercial, um, which is insane. Yeah. And then obviously that led to the movie um, in 2010. By the way, that Super Bowl commercial was crazy because Lauren called us in and, and, told us that, you know, Pepsi had wanted to do some kind of SNL Super Bowl commercial and that he thought that MacGruber made the most sense. It was, Lor it was Lauren's idea? It was Lauren's idea. I kind of understand because it was filmed, it wouldn't seem as... Like, I feel like a live sketch might seem... It was a surprise, but I but it made a little bit of sense. But I was like, huh. It, 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 was, it was exciting that he had chosen us to do that so anyway we yeah i think that i think he hadn't told pepsi about it and, and when he finally told pepsi oh yeah we're gonna do mcgruber pepsi was kind of quickly like <laughs> i don't know i maybe maybe we we're, we're, they had cold yeah. feet immediately <laughs> and and kind of bailed on the thing and then lauren said you know what um let's just let's make it anyway and let's make it so good that they they want to do it and we're like Freaking Lauren. Yeah. Just, wow. Yeah. Just making things happen. So we did. We we just made it. We brought in Richard Dean Anderson, who was awesome. It was so much fun. To, he was so cool. And we made a couple for the show as well. So we spent all day making these commercials and then making, you know, just in case the commercials didn't happen, we, we had these ones for the show. And, uh, and then sure enough, Lauren was totally right. Pepsi said, uh, let's 
yeah, let's do it. But then they, they made this weird, we specifically intended for the very first, we made three of them. We were just going to make the very first one, but then we made two others. We thought like, oh, they can put them on the internet or something. Cause we always made them in, in threes. Yeah. 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 But for some reason they chose to air the second one. <laughs> and you were like, that's not, yeah. So like, there's this whole setup for everything. You're we in the first one you reveal Richard Dean Anderson. You, yeah. you like there's it just Yeah, it was totally out of context. It was an interesting call, but I I think we all figured out that it was because the second one we say Pepsi a ton. They're like, that's obviously the best one. McGruber, this door is sealed shut. And we only have 15 seconds. Pepsi, 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 Pepsi. Pepsi, 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 Pepsi. I don't understand what you're saying. Pepsi, 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 Pepsi. You are such a sellout. Pepsi, 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 Pepsi. Will you stop saying Pepsi? Bad Pepsi. But look, they, you know, we were very excited that they did it. And and it's and then after that, that was when the movie, I, I forget who it was, but but somebody approached Lauren and said, hey, would you ever think about a MacGruber movie? And then Lauren called us in and told us, would you think, you know, what do you think? And, and we said, can we think about it? Because we never had thought about that. Yeah. And then we took a night and we were like, why not? Yeah, let's do it. And then we got very excited about it and even had a couple ideas and then the next day we go in and we're like, yes, we want to do it. And then, and then whoever had approached him very quickly got cold feet also. was, <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, Lauren was like, we're doing this thing. And he just it's amazing. It happen. He is just a force. Yeah. Well, I mean, the movie is incredible, obviously, and has lived on to, you know, be such a beloved thing by so many people. Um, you know, obviously, it did not have that reaction when it came out. And I know you've talked about this before, uh, that, you know, it was kind of that there was a disappointment around that. What was that? You know, you you made this thing that you that you loved and that so many people love. And yet there's there's this, you know, reaction from sort of the mainstream, you know, world that it wasn't so great. So how did that you know, affect you at the time? And how do you think about it now? Well, at the time, it was very hard. It was very, very hard, especially that, you know, the first couple of weeks. But I was, you know, used to being in bombs. Yeah, <laughs> it was, <laughs> Didn't it see was it. My, comfort, my comfort zone in a way. <laughs> the thing I'll say about it is there's such a different experience when you get to make something where you love it and believe in it, and it does poorly. It's way easier to take it than if you alter stuff to try to please other people. There were things that I did that there were choices that were made where you weren't necessarily on board with, but you just go with it. And it's harder when something goes really poorly in that situation, because you always have that feeling of like, if I got to make it exactly the way I wanted it, if things would have been different. And, and at least with MacGruber, we got that experience where it's like, you know what? We wouldn't have changed anything. That was just, we did our, everything's, it's out of our control. Once we make it, you give it up to the world and, and, you know, they either accept it or not. And, and they out of the gate didn't accept it. That was tough for a couple of weeks. And then, and then we kind of huddled around with the, and, and had a phone call and we were like, you know what? Let's not, you know, fuck it. This was, we're proud of this. We wouldn't have done anything different. Let's not let this sully our feelings towards this thing, which we we loved making. We loved how it turned out. Like, yeah. And it was right around that period where we're like, you know what? And let's make another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we were very excited about you did not want this, but here it is. Like we were like, we're so proud of it. And so that was our goal. We were like, at some point. You know, even if we have to make it on our phones, let's not let this be the end of it. Yeah, well, it took a while, but you got there. And now, of course, you didn't. Ha you don't have a ninety-minute movie. You have a you have a four-hour uh, series. So that's a. <laughs> it did take a while for sure. So yeah, so now it's a you know it became this uh, Peacock series, which is really really great as well. Um, was it hard to convince uh, you know Peacock or or even Lauren to give it a second chance in that format? Lauren was always 
ready to go. It was, yeah, it was just, it took a long time to, you know, just everything moves so slowly and then it moves so fast. It's like, you know, you're, you're just sitting there waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden it's a sprint. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the interim between SNL and, and this show, you had last man on earth, which is another show that I loved. Um, did you feel like you learned anything doing that as sort of serialized show like that, that you applied to, to MacGruber? Oh yeah. I mean, first of all, Phil slash Tandy was basically just <laughs> with a beard yeah. who couldn't swear. I learned ton about how to structure stories for sure. And a lot about editing, just learned a ton from that experience. And, and, uh, you know, John Solomon was also there, uh, through that whole experience. He wrote the whole way through and directed a ton of the episodes and, and, uh, a lot of the people on the John and Yorma and I were obviously writing, on the series, but then we brought in Tim McAuliffe, Cassia Miller, and Dave Noel, who were Last Man on Earth writers so good. And they helped us because there was so much more that we had to write than just like a movie. And Fletcher Lee was uh, was our uh, writer's assistant who also wrote an episode. And so it was such a fun experience getting to do this again. And even though this was something we had been hoping for for so long, and at a certain point, you just think, ah, it's never going to happen. So it was just to be able to get that experience to, <laughs> to actually do it was a, a dream come true. So that's the life we chose. Death is our job. And I know that every man or woman in this goddamn room would make the same goddamn decision that I made 11 times out of goddamn 10. And yeah, it's brave, and it's commendable, and it's patriotic as shit. But it's also contagious like the clap. Because bravery begets bravery. And yeah, this time it's me. And next time, it might be you. Or 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 you. You get the point. Or you, or you, or you, or you, or you, or you, you see what I'm saying? Could be any one of us. Could be you in the back. I haven't even looked in the back. Could be you in the suit. You with the thinning hair. Double chin. Freaking frumpy dump right there. Could be you. It could be anybody. But this time, it's me. Yeah, so I mean, the MacGruber show also led you to finally getting to host SNL, which uh, was really fun to see. Um, and you had this great self-deprecating monologue where you kind of talked about everyone from your cast, from your crew who had hosted before you, including <laughs> John Mulaney, who was wasn't even on the show and hosted four times before you hosted once. <laughs> I loved that. Uh, was that your idea to make that the concept of the monologue? No, uh, I landed in New York. I think it was Monday night. Uh, and Colin Jost sent me a monologue idea that was an early version of all that. And so much of the stuff that he had written stayed in there. And then John Solomon and I kind of went through and pitched a couple areas. And throughout the week, we just kind of tightened everything up and added a few jokes. But it was like, really, the concept of that was all Colin Jost. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and then we kind of just fine tuned it from there. But I was, terrified to do this it was I, it had been so long since i had been on stage at snl and and you know like we talked about i was i was never the guy that was all over the show i was i was at the very end of the show or every once in a while reluctantly in the beginning <laughs> you know so so it was terrifying to think oh i'm gonna have to go be in everything and i'm a little OCD. So I, I'm always thinking about, oh, what's, oh, remember to do this in this scene and do yeah. this in this scene. It's a lot to keep track of. It's a lot to keep track of. And, you know, in my head, I was like, okay, I'm either going to melt down and, or the other version is that there's so much stuff to remember that you just don't have time. Like you're so busy that you don't have time to worry. And that was exactly what happened. You go out there, instincts kick in, and you're just, jamming everywhere and it, it was turned out being such a fun experience and 
going in and seeing this monologue that he had written and knowing as I went in, oh my God, this is really funny already. And we have four days to work on it was, was such a blessing. It really took a lot of stress off. You know, I, I, I was able to relax a little bit. So thank you to Colin Jost. Yeah. And you got Lauren on, on camera, which doesn't happen that often, which was fun. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> Always fun though. I waited 12 freaking years for this. I mean, have you seen some of the idiots they've had host the show since then? Kristen, Bill, Andy, Fred. All right, fine. I'll take one question. You, sir. I'm so sorry, Will. There's been a mistake. Hey! I'm pretty sure it's this week. Do you think I would book someone named Will, then someone named Willem? Oh my God, this is not happening. Wait, you, you texted me to come host, Lauren. I texted Willem and, you know, autocorrect. I have to ask about uh, something else you did not too long ago, which was... Uh your appearance in I Think You Should Leave in the in the plane sketch, which is I think is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Thank you. And it's the that great sketch with uh, with Tim Robinson um, on the plane. You didn't actually overlap with him at SNL, right? You didn't. Did you know him much before you uh, came in to do that? I knew him a little bit, but I didn't overlap with him. I just met him. He was. Uh, I can't even remember how I met him. I think just when I would go back to visit SNL, I would see him. God, I always just thought he was so funny. So I'm so excited. Seems like uh, kindred spirits. He is such a delightful person. And and I'm so happy that this show is doing so well. And John Solomon, actually my MacGruber buddy, John Solomon, I don't know if he wrote the whole sketch, but he definitely had a lot to do with the writing of that sketch. Or maybe maybe a couple of them wrote it together. But but definitely I I read that and I'm like, oh, this, this feels... Like John had a lot to do with this, but he he writes on that on that show. It was 1982. I was 48. You were nine months. We were on a flight from JFK to London. Saw you immediately. A baby. A seven-hour flight. The first hour was bliss. Then the crying started. Small whimpers at first. Then came the shrieking, louder, 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 till it filled the whole cabin. When I arrived in London, I was a shell of a man, broken. You see, I had spent my entire life savings to go to London to see my beloved Buckingham Palace so I could see if I could make those soldiers laugh. Because of you, I was too tired to do anything funny. I vowed from that day forward that I would devote the rest of my life to getting my revenge on you, little baby. It's such a great concept, and it did seem like it's one of the... I know a lot of the sketches on that show were SNL pitches that never made it and uh, and then ended up, you know, on Tim Robinson's show. Do you think that plain sketch would have, you know, gotten past the table read or dress rehearsal at SNL? I don't know. I mean, you'd, you'd never know. It's it's uh, certainly most of the time you the picks that happen at the table makes sense but every once in a while you get a head scratcher which like when i got to host i got to be in the room for the decision making process oh yeah that must have been interesting it's very interesting because you you're always wondering what the heck that's like and then to get to you know peek behind the curtain is is very interesting so it's you know that the things make a little more sense when you see them from that angle but that scene was so that was so funny i i feel like i feel like that would work anywhere i would think that that would make it through actually i'm gonna ask them because i i wonder if that was one that he tried to put up at snl i don't know yeah no it's 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 really really funny one it was one that i put up all the time that john solomon and i wrote that we finally got to do 
at Seth Meyers on, on his show for Second Chance Theater. It was this thing about this blind date that this guy gets set up on. And I, I end up being, I come in and I look like Benjamin Franklin, but yes, I'm, yes. I'm Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> oh, I, I'm very aware of this. Yes. Oh my God. We, we tried to put that on so many times <laughs> and it would always go well at the table read. And then they never let us. So that was, so Seth let us, Put that on. Yeah, that's a gift that he that he gave that he's been giving uh, you and, and other people with that second chance theater. But it's with second chance theater. There's there's no way to lose because yeah. you're talking about how heavily invested you were in this sketch, and and by the time it comes up and you do it, there's no way to lose because it either goes really well and it's funny, or or it sucks really bad and people are still laughing because they're like you're such a dumbass for, for this, for caring so much. I mean, it was very cathartic to get to the <laughs> show. So looking ahead, I mean, is there going to be more MacGruber? Do we know yet? I know there's there's something called MacGruber 2 on your IMDb page for uh, coming up, but is that real or what's going on? I have no idea. I mean, MacGruber 2, I think that's on there as a mistake. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how that got on there, but we're still waiting to hear I think they have to tell us within the next 10 days. Oh, but wow. if they told us if they told us later than that and it was a yes, then we'd take it. we I mean, this is a group of people that we love hanging out with, but we never thought we'd do a second sketch. Like yeah. we got to the end of that first sketch. So it's all bonus now. So this whole thing is has just been this kind of unexpected wild ride. And and you know, I mentioned the catharsis of Benjamin Franklin. I mean, talk about cathartic getting to make a MacGruber series after just the I don't know what was it, journey sounds douchey but <laughs> after that whole journey it was a very special thing to get to hang out with with all these old friends and get to just laugh again so yeah if we get another chance to 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 get the group together and and have fun we would jump at it but but we're we're pretty thankful to have gotten this experience yeah. Yeah. It was long sought after, but, but uh, <laughs> hardly expected. With the uh, with the little bit of time we have left, I just wanted to run through a few of our um, questions in our final segment called The First Laugh. So these are a couple of uh, quick questions about firsts in your life and career um, as they pertain to comedy. So starting with the first piece of comedy or one of the first that really made you laugh hard as a kid that you can remember um, really connecting with. Oh, probably Blazing Saddles. Saturday Night Live. I mean, they, they let me watch a bunch of stuff way younger than I should, but I remember that. <laughs> That friggin' campfire fart scene yeah. was right, just perfect for <laughs> five-year-old me. We talked a little bit about Letterman. Uh, your very first acting credit is as Snow Shovel Murder Victim on The Late Show with David Letterman. What do you remember about that? You know what? There was one before that. There was also Letterman. Oh. I had started on a Monday, and on the Friday, there was something called Everything's funnier when someone gets hurt. So they asked around for people to talents that people had, and then they made jokes at them. And the talent that I had, which isn't much of a talent because I was shitty at it, but it was, I could cut my own hair. So Dave came in and then the thing is I was supposed to fake hitting him, like stabbing him in the, through the hand with a pair of scissors. And that was the most terrifying thing of all time because I actually... They're like, okay, so just go down at him like you're going to stab him with the scissors, but pull up short. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll fake it the rest of the way. And I'm like, oh, don't God. fucking <laughs> accidentally stab David Letterman in the hand on your you know, fifth day there. Oh, my God. Somehow I, I didn't blow up, but, but that was my first <laughs> one. Now I cut my own hair. He cuts his own hair. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Take it away. Cuts Hope his own hair. I just take the scissors, scissors and right. I grab hair in my fist and Watch. I just cut whatever is in my fist. There you so, go. Yeah. Everything's funnier when someone gets hurt. Ah! <laughs> they can. Stab <laughs> me. Look at that. What are you trying to pull? Do you have a story about meeting a comedy hero of yours, uh, someone who you really look up to uh, the first time that you met someone who you you know really loved in the comedy world? And I'm sure you met a lot of them at SNL, but... Yeah, Steve Martin, Peter Sellers, that whole SNL cast. But Steve Martin, 
was always my number number one. Yeah. He posted a couple of times while I was there, which was always very exciting. This isn't the first time I met him. There's for the upfronts every summer, the cast would as you know, usually the whole cast would go and fly out to Los Angeles. And Lauren would would always fly a couple members of the cast out with him and then everybody else would fly on regular planes. But he would he would fly on a, a private jet. And so I would always hear about this. And I was like, oh man, one day maybe I'll get to do that too. It was, and, and way late, and this might've even been my eighth year at the show, but I finally got asked to fly with him out there. And all I knew was that I was going, I knew probably a couple other people were going, but I had no idea who. So I show up to the, to the airport and there is uh, Fred Armisen. So I'm like, oh, great. You know, I know Fred super well. So already I felt more comfortable than, because I was at that point, I was still nervous around Lauren. I'm like, what am I going to talk to Lauren about? Then freaking Steve Martin walks <laughs> up and he's coming with us. And it was just me and Lauren and Fred and Steve Martin. Oh my and I God. was like, oh my God, what? what? I was so nervous because I just, it, he's a very nice person, but I just, I can't talk to people. They're comedy legends. Yeah. And I just internally judge everything that I'm saying. Like Martin Short, the nicest person of all time. And I, I, I just get, I clam up around him. Yeah. It's like, there couldn't be somebody easier to talk to. <laughs> Cause you're trying to be funny or. No, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's intimidating. Yes. Yeah, if, if there's ever a situation like that, <laughs> I get, I turn into a little shy fanboy. But anyway, there's a certain point where we're on the plane and this is like three hours in and we're all kind of doing our own things and at times talking as a group and I'm doing a lot of listening, but anyway, Lauren finally goes to the bathroom and I'm like, I gotta ask Steve Martin. I gotta, I just have to talk to him. I have to ask him something because the jerk is probably my all time favorite. The best. the best. I just said, Oh, Steve, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about the jerk? And he said, Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. And then I was like, I didn't know what to ask. Cause I was like, <laughs> Basically, my question would have been just start talking about the jerk. Yeah. Just tell me everything. Yeah. (laughs) And that's it. That was my question. Just keep talking about the jerk until you get into the car at the airport when we land. And maybe I'll maybe I'll get your phone number and you can keep talking about it as we're driving (laughs) separate cars away. But I just, you know, I think I asked him about studio interference or something (laughs) something like that. He was like. No, we didn't get a lot. It was like, yeah. And I, I just, I, and then Lauren came out of the bathroom and I lost my window. I'm like, oh, I blew it with my <laughs> window of time. Like, yeah, but that was, that's hilarious. By Steve Martin. <laughs> Finally, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out uh, other comedy that's making them laugh right now. I know you said you don't necessarily watch a lot of TV, but is there something uh, that has made you laugh recently that you've seen, um, you know, in a movie, on TV, live, anywhere online, that's something that you want to shout out that, that really made you laugh? Oh my God. We've been watching a lot of, I mean, Bob's Burgers is, is oh, a big yeah. thing. And I am so excited to see the, uh, to see the, the, the Bob's Burgers movie. Yeah. We have not seen it yet. God, we just went to Top Gun the other night, but that's not a comedy, but. <laughs> but man, but very funny. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. I was just working in Albuquerque. I, when I got to the end of Breaking Bad and I heard that, you know, they were doing Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. it just took me a while to motivate to watch it just because I loved Breaking Bad so much. I'm like, oh, Better Call Saul can't be as good, right? It's just like, yeah, how could it live up to it? And even though I freaking love Bob, Bob's one of my comedy heroes and I, he's fantastic, but I finally started watching it in Albuquerque, especially, yeah. While I was in Albuquerque and it felt very, holy shit, is it good? Yeah. Vince Gilligan. He's just unbelievable master. And, but I mean, God, Bob is so good. And Ray, just if that whole show is so good, we're only three episodes in, but. Oh, wow. You have a long, you have a long way to go. You have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I'm so excited. We're trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah. And, uh, that's good. There can't be that many spoilers because it's a prequel. So you're good. You're, you should be okay. (laughs) No, I know. And somebody, somebody did say something the other day, which, which I guess I should have been able to deduce just based on where I know Breaking Bad yeah, starts. Yeah. I'm not going to say what it is, but but it was like my my dumb little brain hadn't 
thought it through that much. You just want to get sucked in and enjoy the ride, you know? Yeah, exactly. But oh my God, is it good? Bob obviously is so great in it, but like that whole cast is just, I mean, oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, Will, thank you so much. I, I loved the MacGruber show. Uh, congrats on that and good luck with everything uh, moving forward. And um, yeah, it was such such a good time talking with you. It was great talking to you. Thank you very much. Well, that was just so much fun. So thank you again to Will Forte for taking so much time and sharing so much with me for this episode. Season one of MacGruber is streaming now on Peacock, and we will be keeping all of our fingers crossed for season two. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.